have come up with the perfect sports analogy for parenthood. As the Tape to Tape listeners know, I went into the Christmas break on the verge of fatherhood, and we're now three weeks into life with little Claire. Shout out to Claire. Been a great little baby so far. How different it is. How different it is. It is like your life is now permanently the playoffs because there are such wild (laughs) swings from day to day, right? Yeah. When you watch the playoffs, you know how it is. You see your team win a game and it feels like they won the whole series. Then you see them lose an overtime game and you're like, I don't know if I can go on. And I feel like that's what parenthood is. It's these moments of like, does it get any better than this? And then moments where you're like, Am I going to make it? Am I going to make it through this? And even in those moments where you're, I don't think it can, I don't know if I can go on. It doesn't take long before you're like, of of course I can go on. This is what it's all about. Yeah. (laughs) Of course you can go on. And of course, tape to tape rolls on into 2019. Pleasure to be back in the studio. First pod of the new year. And we've got a fantastic anchor for this pod Halfway, man. Halfway through the NHL season, we have got tons to talk about as we reflect back on what has happened through the first, oh, most teams are at 42, 43 games. Look ahead and try to get a handle on what may happen over the, the next 41 or two. And I think most intriguingly, in the next month and change here, as we move up to the trade deadline, mm. there are some real interesting names who are candidates to be moved in the next little while. So you're going to hear us chime in on Matt Duchesne, on Mark Stone, Sergei Bobrovsky. This almost feels like a fait accompli at this point, given recent happenings in the Columbus world. Mm-hmm. Dougie Hamilton. Could Dougie Hamilton be traded again? We're going to dive into all of that. We're going to take a look and spend at least a little time with each Canadian team here and take their temperature at the halfway point. Some some real surprises out there. I'm looking at you, Vancouver and Montreal, two teams I don't think anyone expected would be firmly in a playoff chase at this point. Yet here we are. But let's start, Rory, with just some reflections on what we've seen so far. When you look back at the first half of the NHL season, I don't know. Where do you want to take this? Do you want to go? Do you want to jump right into the the juicy stuff and throw out some MVP candidates? Or what? what's on your mind here when, when you look at the first three, I guess, months of the season? Let's start with the MVP because it, it really is wide open right now and I've had various discussions with some of our writers radio co-host on Saturday night about the MVP race right now he's usually got some opinions he definitely has some some opinions shout out to Nick (laughs) what's interesting to me is that I don't know if he's in it right now but John Gibson the goalie for the Anaheim Ducks was front and center for me before these guys started to tail off Ah, the old can the goalie be the MVP should oh my god I don't have the heart for it just go ahead yeah so like they just get outshot like crazy almost every time that they go out there and he was just standing on his head through a ton of injuries for the Anaheim Ducks and they were still somehow sitting second and third place in the Pacific Division through most of that first half. It has cooled off right now and it's a situation where if they do miss the playoffs there's not really a case to be made for John Gibson anymore but not only 
a goalie, can a goalie win the MVP? Can a rookie win the MVP? And somebody I was talking with mentioned Elias Pettersson and how it, it's very true how night and day different the Vancouver Canucks are with him in the lineup versus with him out of the lineup. First of all, he gives them two scoring lines, which you'll see some teams in these playoffs don't really have, right? Dallas has one scoring line. Colorado has one scoring line. With Pedersen, they have two, and they can kind of sting you a little bit. But also, he makes them a little less of a checking team. And he, like, he himself is appointment viewing, I think. If they make the playoffs and Elias Pedersen scores you know, a little bit more than a point a game. He gets between say 80 and 85 points considering maybe he plays 70 to 72 games or something with the injuries he's had. Should he be considered for the heart trophy in the literal sense of he is the most important player to his team. So right there, you're already talking about a goalie and a rookie. And those guys are kind of in this discussion kind of, I think right now on the perimeter of it, then you go from there to Johnny Gaudreau for the Calgary flames. You go to Nikita Kucherov of the Tampa Bay Lightning, who I think lost votes last year because he's surrounded by so much good talent on that team. But I think this year that can't happen to him anymore because he really has asserted himself as the best player on this team. It's amazing to me that you look back at December 1st and he was trailing Miko Rantanen, who was the then scoring leader by nine points. Miko Rantanen has scored 25 points in 18 games since then and now trails Nikita Kucherov by three points in the scoring race. Like That's unbelievable what he's doing in there. He can shoot, he can pass, he can do it all. I, I think we have to stop worrying about what's around a guy like him so much and just look at him, the player, and how much he dominates. And I think a name that a lot of people don't mention in this, because you'll go on, you'll talk about Connor McDavid, and if the Edmonton Oilers get to the playoffs, he should be considered... Alex Ovechkin continues to fly under that radar. And this is my question. So if you have Elias Pettersson and the Vancouver Canucks in the playoffs, if you have John Gibson and the Anaheim Ducks in the playoffs, say Johnny Gaudreau finishes top five in scoring and Calgary wins their division. Tampa Bay is going to win their division. Say Nikita Kutrov wins the scoring race. And then you have Alex Ovechkin. Say Washington wins the Metro and he equals or betters his career high of 65 goals, 65 goals. Who are you giving the MVP to in that situation? 65 goals. Like I would feel inclined then to go with Ovechkin, I think. It would be between him and Kucherov in my Goals line, are the most important thing. See, that's the thing. Like There are all these amazing performances right now, and still Ovechkin is flying under the radar, and I don't think enough attention has been brought to his heart trophy case through the first half of the season. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, Gaudreau, I, I was sort of looking at... Things that have changed since we did our uh, a quarter of the yep. season is in the books podcast back in you know mid to late November and Gaudreau and the Flames are you know one of the real stories of the of that this twenty game yeah. chunk the way um, he and the team have really moved forward Vegas has really gotten it together and at that yes. point you know the obviously with the Nate Schmidt suspension and some injuries now all of a sudden Vegas uh, looks like it's starting to to be the team that it, it, it was last year. And, you know, Marc-Andre Fleury is leading the league in wins. And Kucherov, the the other guy who in the last 20 has just gone, you know, to another level. Eric Carlson, you know, remember, those, remember how we were even kind of rolling our eyes being like, is something wrong with Eric Carlson? Well, you could see the underlying yeah. numbers. He was, uh, he was getting his chances and he was creating chances for, his teammates to a lot of passes into the slot 
when he was on the ice, the Sharks were scoring on something like 4.4% of their chances, which is extremely low. And you can see now that that is completely flipped the other way. He's on a 14-game point scoring streak, which is the longest of any defenseman in the salary cap era. Just how different is that from how we were talking about him at the start of the season? He's now tied for fourth in scoring among all defensemen in the NHL so far this season. Brent Burns leads the way. I think it's going to end up in April. We're going to be talking about Eric Carlson in that Norris trophy discussion. And that's just incredible. <laughs> Does he make it to the market? Do you think? I don't think he gets traded. I don't think he makes it. Oh, does he make it to July one? That's see the thing with Eric Carlson is he can't sign an eight year extension with San Jose until the trade deadline comes and goes. Right. So there's a reason for him to hold out that long before locking in with this team. San Jose has the cap room to do it if they want. And with him and Burns, they have a, a kind of tandem on the back end there that can't be equaled by anybody. It's amazing what they're both doing right now. When you consider that Joe Thornton is getting older, he's on a one-year deal year too. by year at this point, Exactly. Right? So he might walk away and not come back. And then you'd need that scoring punch. I, I, I would do it if I was San Jose. I would try really hard. But the question is, what is Eric Carlson going to get? Because he, he is having a great season, but there are still some lingering injury concerns with him. He'll be 28 next season. He's getting closer to the end of his prime. He's not there yet. He's still going to have some monster seasons in him for sure. But, you know, what are you giving Eric Carlson? Are you giving him $10 million or more? And does that become too much maybe if you're the San Jose Sharks? But I think that's a team that still has a Stanley Cup window that's wide open here. And if you're going to shed that Joe Thornton salary, that's going to make it a lot easier to keep Carlson in the fold. I don't think he makes it to July 1. I think this is a team that tends to keep its players. Guys want to play there. It's a good place to live. I mean, everybody thought Evander Kane was going to make it to July 1 and be a big UFA, and San Jose was able to keep him. So I kind of think that's where this is going with Carlson as well. Surprises, disappointments. Let me just rhyme a few off for you from the surprise category. I mean, look. Gabriel Landeskog was, um, I mean, he's he's long been a good player, but we really thought there were, you know, limitations on his high uh, elite right. level production, right? He was right. kind of seen as, yes, of course, he can chip in some offense, um, but he, you know, he, he wasn't seen as a, as a super high-end guy. Lo and behold, here he is on the best line in hockey. He has set set his career high for goals already <laughs> with 27. He's third in the Incredible. league. Number two is Jeff Skinner. I mean, that's still, I mean, we knew Skinner was uh, was a guy who could go out there and get 30, but man, he has gone to a whole other level. Um, I'm going to just read off the save percentage leaders for you in the league, and you'll note there isn't really any of the old familiars in there. Jack Campbell, Robin <laughs> Leonard, Yarrow Halak, Linus Olmark, Casey DeSmith, Anton Hudobin, you have to get down to Andre Vasilevsky at 923. So, I mean, the lack of, you know, obviously a carry price. Gibson is, you know, when Gibson and Anderson get rolling for a week, they could quickly ascend. But yep. 
I mean, those goalies, man, Leonard, to see the way he's found himself with the Islanders, the Islanders, another surprise. Yeah. So with the Islanders, I think Barry Trotz is making a really strong case for the Jack Adams at this point, because if you remember last year, they allowed the most shots in the NHL by a wide margin. And it was the most in, in a number of years, like they were historically awful on defense. They could score a ton and that was no problem, but they could not prevent shots against. And, and now they are one of the best teams in shots against their team save percentage at five on five is second in the entire NHL right now. So part of Lanner's success is, is certainly him. And I think he's been a little underappreciated as an NHL goalie in, in Buffalo. I always thought he had pretty good numbers yep. there and his teams were awful. In and front he had of bad him. injury luck. He had he the high have, ankle sprain one yeah. year. I think the first year he yeah, was there. Concussion, I think yeah. he had at one point too. Um, so now he comes to New York and you have a team that's trying to establish this new culture of, of expectation, which I think has been laid down very well by Lamorello and Trotz, but also the way the defense has tightened up. They, they do allow a fair amount of high danger chances in front, but overall, like their defense has massively improved to the point where they're one of the better ones in the NHL, as I said. So that's having a, a positive effect on Laner. And now you got to wonder him too, because he signed a one-year contract. That was a great deal for him. A, a show me deal Do the Islanders keep him. And then what's the cause? How much, how many years and how much, how many millions of dollars are you giving to Robin Laner? Worrying about his injury history, worrying about if he can keep up this level of I think play. If you or have maybe... the, I think if you have the goaltending history of the Islanders, you say if this guy looks good, yeah. we keep him. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and but also maybe you say, well, is it our defense that's creating yeah. this? And then maybe you don't need to spend a, a ton on a goalie right now. You're still trying to build towards something better. Like the, the Islanders aren't going to be Stanley Cup contenders this year. They're probably not going to be next year either. You're a very young team. You just got Oliver Wallstrom and Noah Dobson in last year's draft. That's going to be another couple of years before those guys are really hitting their stride. So they're a couple of years out. Maybe you don't need to rush in to commit to a goalie too early yet, but you can't shy away from what Laner has done and consider his track record too. So what about some disappointments when you do the math and compare expectation to result is maybe St. Louis the biggest disappointment still. We certainly talked about them at the, at, uh, at the quarter pole. Um, this is a team that people thought had a chance to really make some noise, I would say. Mm -hmm. And you look at how well an off season acquisition like Ryan O'Reilly has worked out. And it's just remarkable that they're, at the bottom of the league, Philly is, as of this moment, last overall. That was a team many people thought could make the playoffs. Yeah. Anything or any person really stand out to you as just uh, a real disappointment thus far? Well, St. Louis and Philadelphia, I think, are number one and number two most disappointing. It, it For St. Louis, it's really Tarasenko and Jake Allen. And I guess some of the defense on the back end too, but Tarasenko, I thought was a lock to really get close to or hit 40 goals again this year. And it's just not happening. He's missing the net a ton. Um, he, he's actually getting pretty good quality chances, but he's just, there's something off with his game. And if he would just find the back of the net, like he's, he's used to him and O'Reilly could really make one of the best lines in the NHL. And I think that's what a lot of people were seeing here. It's amazing that O'Reilly is having a really excellent season and it's not doing anything for this Blues team. It's going to be really interesting to see what they do at the trade deadline. Uh, Philadelphia had one of the best lines in the NHL last year, and it just is not happening for them. I'm sure at this point they're regretting 
taking Nolan Patrick ahead of Elias Pettersson. I'm a little disappointed. The Arizona Coyotes, I thought they were going to take a step this year. And they have, like, Nick Schmaltz was doing so well for them, and now he's out for the season. Antti Ranta has been having injury concerns again. It seems like that's going to be something that's going to follow him through his career. So it's it's hard to see him being a really true number one. And even though they're just one point out of the playoffs right now, the Minnesota Wilds, I mean, you have a new GM who hasn't really done anything yet with this team and you have a good collection of talent. Like there's a lot of depth on this team. It's just, there's something missing. They can't, they went through a stretch of four games in December where they scored three goals. And the only guy who scored for them was Jordan Greenway. And that's not somebody who's going to be your high end goal scorer or anything like that. So I think just the fact that that team can't seem to get over the hurdle, they just are missing something. And so it's a little frustrating. And, and again, the Edmonton Oilers, I mean, it's just, what is wrong with this team? Where are they going? How do you fix it? You know, I've got to be disappointed. That's a great place to take a break. When we come back, why don't we dive in with the Western conference Canadian teams? We'll look at the whole conference, but we'll zone in on the Oilers and flames jets and Canucks and see where they are halfway through their season, but definitely a lot of meat on the bone there with the Oilers. So stick around on the other side of the break. We're talking Western Canadian teams on tape to tape. The tape to tape podcast is brought to you by the GMC terrain with cargo space. That'll fit the entire family's hockey bags and available all wheel drive to keep them safe on icy roads. The GMC Terrain is the compact SUV thoughtfully designed with you in mind. GMC Terrain, we are professional grade. Welcome back. Tape to tape, all right, Rory. We were just starting to dive into it before the break. The Edmonton Oilers, I have to say, you know, 10 games in when they were whatever, 7-3 and three under Hitchcock, I was like, okay, yeah. here we go. They're at least going to get the wild card and get things sorted out. And it, it just hasn't gone that way since then. And I guess the the low point was him basically calling the whole team out after, in his mind, they were listless against the Los Angeles Kings. And yep. he made a really good point that I thought this must drive coaches nuts. Basically, he said, it's only after a horrible performance that we're motivated. Like the whole thing and you, anyone inside the game, especially management, will talk about the difficulty of doing it day to day. That's the real trick is getting up each day and putting your best foot forward. Essentially any team can get the fire stoked when they just got the crap kicked out of them, but only a focused pro team brings it night after night. And it just seems like Hitchcock can't find a way to, to do that with this team. And you know, he he's coming to the situation where he's got nothing to lose. He's pushing whatever button he has to push. And already two months in or less than two months in, you can see he's just kind of shaking his head going, I just don't know what's up with these guys. Yeah, I struggle with who the blame falls on here because on one hand, this is clearly not a roster that's skilled enough from top to bottom to hang with a lot of the teams in the NHL. And right now you've got Zach Cassian and Jujar Kyra. I like Kyra, but he's not a top line player. These are now Connor McDavid's wingers and that can't go on. On the other hand, though, when Ken Hitchcock did first get there, their shots against fell below 30 and they looked like they were able to turn the tables there and become a competitive team, hard to score against. Their goals were falling a little bit, but they were still more than the goals they were giving up. But ever since that strong 11 game start under Hitchcock, 
it's completely reversed. Their shots against are worse now than they were under Todd McClellan. And that tells me that it's the players and that they're not fully buying in. They're not, they're not really giving it their all. They're not focused on what they're trying to do or whatever it is. And so, uh, yeah, it, it's, it is very much Peter Torelli's fault that we're here, right? It's roster composition. It is roster composition. You know, you have to, even Ken Hitchcock had to put Leon Dreisaitl back with Connor McDavid after starting them apart because it wasn't working. And now he split them up and he's got the three centers spread across three lines, just trying to find something. But that Los Angeles Kings game, you, you were just coming off a win against Arizona, which is a game you should be winning. You should be winning a game against the LA Kings too, even though it's on the road because they've been just awful this year. But they were completely outplayed right in that first period. Connor McDavid got checked hard by Jeff Carter. He got elbowed in the face a little by Drew Doughty. And there was no pushback. Absolutely no pushback at all until the third period when the game is lost and big Milan Lucic decides to go after five foot ten Brendan Leipzig. And I thought, (laughs) that's ridiculous. That this is the smallest big man in the NHL, I like to say. That that was the only answer that the Edmonton Oilers had in that game. And then they come back. And they have a good showing against the Anaheim Ducks who are struggling. And two, uh, two nights later, they get blown out of the water again by the San Jose Sharks. They're just, there's no consistency with this team at all. The goaltending has been awful. That's definitely part of this too. To me, at some point here, the players do need to answer. They do need to come back with something. But I'm also sitting here a month and a half or so out of the trade deadline and I'm thinking, there's no way Peter Torelli comes back next year if this team misses the playoffs. And if that's true, why is he still calling the shots leading up to this trade deadline? Because whatever moves you make, they're probably going to have an impact on your draft this year, your futures, whatever it is. Are you considering trading Darnell Nurse? Are you considering trading Jesse Pogliarvi? I mean, those are two big pieces for the future. And why would you want that decision in the hands of a guy who might not even be here next year? And beyond those guys... There's nothing that you can trade that's going to bring any value back that's going to improve your team. So that seems to be the only way that they can maybe get out of this is try and expand their talent pool a little bit by trading some of the big pieces they do have off the roster. Now, losing Oscar Clefbaum has been a big blow to this team for sure, but him coming back alone isn't going to be the answer. It's just really hard to see them hanging with the best teams. I think the only way the Edmonton Oilers get into the playoffs is teams ahead of them like Minnesota, Anaheim, Colorado, these teams that are struggling just don't find it again, and they just kind of back into the playoffs. But yes. it's it's kind of both. It's players and the GM. So the Oilers three points out in that milieu of uh, teams trying to crack the the uh, Western Conference wild card. So let's stay in Alberta. We'll go through Calgary and, and Winnipeg fairly quickly here because we talked a little about Goudreau yeah. and how Calgary has surged forward in Winnipeg. I, I don't know what there is to say other than this is where we thought they'd be, and it's a it's a show-me-in-springtime kind of situation. Yeah. But do you think Calgary, I mean, here they are. They're, they're atop the Pacific. Is this a team that really could make some noise in the playoffs? Yeah, I don't get I've seen some people say they're not really buying into Calgary as a contender, but I don't really get that. I mean, they have one of the best lines in the league, a, a line that can compete with the best in the league. And then they have a really strong uh, second unit to come in behind that. And then when you consider Sam Bennett, Mark Jankowski, these guys on your third line, Michael Froelich. Like, these aren't guys who are going to put up big totals for you, but they're gritty. They can play strong defensively, whatever. They can put in enough points that they're a good, productive third line for you. And then the ascension of David Riddick as the goalie here, I mean, without him, where is this team? We're talking about them. They're probably like the Florida Panthers 
who have some good stories, but they have no goaltending, and so you can't and go are 10 anywhere. points out of the playoffs. 10 points out of the playoffs. So because he's able to rise and take over the number one job right now, I think is the story, the reason why Calgary is where they are. And that's the only concern, right? He's, he has no track record in the NHL is what happens if you get to the playoffs if he's not able to play to that level. And that's why I got to think that by the trade deadline, maybe Calgary's looking for another goalie who maybe he takes over for Riddick. Maybe it's a tandem situation and you ride the hot hand into the playoffs, whatever it is. Do they go big for a Bobrovsky or a Jonathan Quick if L.A. considers going that route? Or do they maybe look for a more of a support guy? Because Mike Smith is clearly not finding it with this team. I thought he would have been getting to some level of consistency by now. It's clearly not going to happen for him. I wouldn't feel good going into the playoffs with him being my backup. If Riddick is my starter, I would want something a little bit more secure, but the depth is definitely there for these Calgary flames. Mark Giordano is one of those names that's going to be mentioned in that Norris trophy uh, discussion. Travis Hamannick is having a bounce back season as is uh, TJ Brody. Noah Hannafin has been an amazing addition on that back end too. They've got a number of young guys that have been great on the back end for the Calgary flames. I just think they have a lot of depth that some teams don't have. They're hard to play against. I see them very much as a Stanley Cup contender. I think you have to say the same about the Winnipeg Jets, a Final Four team last year. Bufflin and Ehlers, you know, some injury concerns there right now. But really, this is just about staying healthy and who might be this year's Paul Stassi edition. Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, Kevin Cheveldayoff doesn't have the track record of doing anything big at the trade deadline until last season. When he went all in, got Paul Staz, and he wanted to keep him, couldn't do it. So now you got to think that he's thinking about that again. We got a taste for blood now, right? Got a taste for blood. And remember, next year you've got some big contracts on the way: yeah. Kyle Connor, Patrick Laine, Josh Morrissey, two years out. Jacob Truba is another one up this summer. Like the cap considerations are going to change the outlook for this team completely. I think here in the very short term. So this is your last best opportunity to take advantage of the entry level contracts for some of these guys to really pour all your assets in to, to go for it. I don't think you need to be picking in the first round again with this team. Try and see if there's something out there. I don't know what that specifically would be yet. There's a lot of teams out there that you're wondering which way they'll go. Will they buy? Will they sell? Will they stand pat? Whatever it is. So we have to see how this is going to shake out over the next month or so. Um, but to me, like this is this is where we thought Winnipeg would be. It doesn't really say anything about the team that they're uh, sitting second place in the Central at this point. Got a couple of games in hand of Nashville, so they're actually probably first place in the Central Division. For this team, it's all about getting to the playoffs and making it an extra round or two further, winning that Stanley Cup. Um, I think that they can get there, and that's really what's going to measure where this team is. No one thought the Vancouver Canucks would be getting to the playoffs, yet here they are just two points back. They're ahead of the Oilers in the chase for a wild card in the West. I'm going to kick off the Vancouver talk before we get to should they still sell? Yeah, what you know, what approach stay the course or push the chips in a little bit? If you could have just one for the next ten years, who would you rather have, Elias Pettersson or Austin Matthews? I mean, I'd have to take Matthews in that case. I think it's a good question because both of them have injury concerns, right? Um, I think I would take the bigger body. I would feel a little bit more secure that he's maybe not going to get injured as much. Although he has had his shoulder injury on both <laughs> ones. And that's, it's a tough it's question. Tough. I love Elias Pettersson. So that's a hard one for me to come down on. But I, I think Austin Matthews's goal scoring ability is on a level that few get to. 
when he's healthy, he's he can score on the same level as oh, pretty close to Ovechkin on line A's level. Um, I think I would go that way. Ask me again in a week and my answer might change again because <laughs> the the thing that Elias Pettersson has going for him is his two-way ability, yeah, right? Yeah, that's he, just it. He's got those defensive instincts yeah. that, oh my God, you just watch and like, where did that come from? Yeah, and... That, I mean, it's almost a coin. It's fun that it's a con- discussion. <laughs> I, I actually thought of it in the context of when Austin Matthews is having moments where he's just soaring. Of course, we get the, you know, Matthews, McDavid. Oh, my God, it's only because it's Toronto that, yeah. oh, it's not a conversation. Yeah. But really, it's like, well, he's actually... It's, you know, it's like he's closer to McDavid than the pack might be. The gap is smaller, yes. right? And yes. I thought, you know what? You could almost flip that and say, if we make Matthews the benchmark, like Pedersen has been so good now that actually probably is a conversation, which is crazy to say about a guy in his rookie season yeah. who's, you know, missed a couple chunks of time here. But And, and I like watching Pedersen play more than I like watching Matthews play. He, he does every, he does so many different things. He does it with speed. Um, he, he's so intuitive. I, I like watching Elias Pedersen more than Matthews. But yeah, which one would you pick for the rest of their careers? That is, I hadn't been... F- faced with that question yet and now that i have been i'm, I'm already going back and forth in my head. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, you know it's worth zooming out here just for one second to think you know the canadian hockey the teams have you don't have to go too far into the past where it was pretty bleak and now i think you've got Pedersen, vancouver i mean edmonton we just laid out it's not all pretty there but Connor mcdavid is still there i mean calgary mm-hmm. has is Tons of great young players. Winnipeg has even more. Yep. You have Matthews in Toronto. It really is. Um, there's some serious, serious players suiting up for Canadian teams right now and figured to be for a long time. So let's go back to the Canucks. What do they do? Vancouver never did want to do the let's plug our nose and trade everyone. And now when you found Pedersen fifth overall, when you found Besser, whatever he was, 25th, 26th, mm-hmm. Maybe you take a guy like Edler, who's probably going to age well, who's 32, and say, the hell with it. If he really wants to be here, let's sign him to a five-year deal and hope that, you know, basically by next year, even if this year is a bit of a mirage, he's around for the next five years when we think we're on the upswing. Yeah, that's where I'm at. I wouldn't be trading him. Not not only that, but he's got a no-trade clause. And he doesn't want to go anywhere. He doesn't want to go anywhere. He's in complete control here. So even if you find somewhere he wants to go and is open to, the market is going to be so thin for him that you're not going to get back the value that A huge return. Need. And consider if you sign him long-term, what does he get? The same five mil average, maybe a little bit more. Like by the end of that contract, even if he's your highest paid defenseman right now, he might not be at the end of it. And relative to where the cap is going, that's not going to be a bad contract for your team overall fitting into a, into a salary cap structure. We have to pay big money to some other young players in the near future. He's going to provide minutes. You need somebody to play minutes for your team. You don't want to put anybody in there too soon before they're yeah. ready, ready. Who knows? Quinn Hughes is probably going to be joining this team. Almost certainly. By next the fall. end of the season, yeah. Vancouver's got to stay the course. I don't think they should be trading draft picks for any depth yeah. pieces or anything like that. See what you've got in this team. Maybe they can make it. And it's a feel good story. And if you miss the playoffs, so be it. You're expecting to anyway. I think we're going to be saying the exact same thing about a certain Eastern conference team. And when we come back, that's when we will dive into Toronto, Montreal and Ottawa take the pulse of those squads. Some very different things happening in those cities at the halfway point. Coming up on the other side of the break on Tape to Tape. 
Looking to stream over 500 NHL games blackout free? Sportsnet Now is the product for you. Available to anyone over the internet, Sportsnet Now gives you 24-7 access to Sportsnet's channels, including content not available on TV. You can stream on the go or at home on your big screen from the most popular devices, including smartphones and tablets, Apple TV, Xbox, PlayStation, and Chromecast. Sign up for as long as you want and cancel whenever you'd like. You can also stream the NBA, MLB, Premier League, all your favorite Sportsnet original programming, and more. Visit snnow.ca for more details. Welcome back to Tape to Tape. We are two for two on perfect segues here, Rory, because just as you were talking about the Vancouver Canucks, mentioning that they should just, you know, they're not a team that, despite being in the in the playoff race, should be going out there and giving up futures for help us now assets or even necessarily selling off for the future. I really think the same thing of the Montreal Canadiens. This is a surprise season for the Habs. They're firmly in the playoff race, have basically held a position all year. Yet when I look at the team, I don't think, oh, well, GM Mark Bergevin owes it to these guys to go out and sacrifice a second rounder to to pick up a left shot defenseman mm-hmm. or flip it around. I mean, I don't really see the team in this playoff race, you know, selling one of its depth defensemen to another team for a fifth rounder. That depth defenseman is probably best served being on your roster. I, I just think you kind of let the chips fall where they may. And if you end up one point out of the playoffs, too bad. No one thought you were going to make it anyways. And if you get in great, you know, your, your expectations aren't going to be much beyond uh, maybe a competitive first round series anyways, but I don't see Montreal uh, being a major player for, you know, being in the conversation with trades that only have an impact for, you know, the next two or three months. I don't see them doing anything major, but the thing with Montreal is Carey Price is 31. Shea Weber's a little older than that think two years older two years older um these guys they're your backbone right now and they're not getting better so you do have to consider that too that when this opportunity is here i think it's a little harder for them to say oh we missed the playoffs by a point too bad than it is for vancouver who's clearly you know they're still building what do you think of the name michael furland attached to this roster well so he was kind of attached to it Back in the summer, even when I think, you know, people like us were doing five places, Max Pacioretty could land. And I think his name was one. I mean, he's he's still Bergevin's kind of guy. He'll get his nose dirty. Yeah. I just think if this team is going to get help, it's got to be on defense. I mean, not that they can't use some help up front, but if they're going to spend an asset, a pick to get something, I don't know. I mean, depending on what uh, you think of the play of Brett Kulak, who is... Uh, all of a sudden worked his way into the rotation. I still look at the left side of the D. On the right side, you've got Weber and Jeff Petrie, and they're doing a great job on the first and second pair, but Mete has been up and down. Mike Riley has been a healthy scratch at times. Kulak has, you know, just came a, a quarter of the way into the season. 
I still wonder if where I do think the Canadians could make a strong play, but I don't think the situation will arise was if a young defenseman who plays on the left side came up, maybe then they would get into the conversation about a long-term thing, but I don't know to go out there and what are you going to have to give up for, for someone like Furlan? I don't know. See, that's the thing. Cause he, he'd be a rental, right? Yeah. He's a UFA, he's a UFA at the end in the, of the season. Like you said, he's a Bergevin kind of player, but he does have some offensive upside. He's played on a couple top Absolutely. lines. He could be in he that could play top with good six. players. Yeah, exactly. So, but, but then it's, you're competing against some other teams that might be looking for the same thing and are, they have more, they're more gone. They're more gone. That's yeah. right. I mean, now Montreal has 10 draft picks this summer that they can think about trading. You're probably not trading your first round pick to start. You got two seconds, a third, two fourths, and a couple of later round picks. I could see them moving a couple of those to try and make some minor addition, like, like a third pair defenseman or something like that. I can't imagine this is a team that would be in on. I don't know, Jake Muzzin or Dougie Hamilton like that. That's because Jake Muzzin is a guy. He's got another contract, another year on his contract after this one. That's a guy like Toronto would be in on that guy. And that's a guy who probably right now is the second best defenseman on the LA Kings. He's a defensive guy. Not going to bring a ton of points to you, but he's a reliable guy. He can play some really good minutes for you. Doesn't make a ton of money, less than $5 million. I just think there are a number of other teams out there that would be willing to pay more and could pay more than the Montreal Canadiens in a trade. Because beyond the 10 draft picks, like Montreal doesn't have a deep prospect system. Toronto's got Liljegren and Sandine. Like they got a lot of guys they could consider moving. I don't know that Montreal is in that spot to pay up. What do you think of when you look at the lease? I mean, as relatively well of things as things have gone, you could certainly make a case that... Austin Matthews was gone, then he's back. William Nylander had this holdout, hasn't been able to get it cooking. Like, can you make an easy case that we haven't seen the best of the Leafs? Because when Nylander inevitably hits a stride, and that coincides with Matthews now, you know, being in the lineup and healthy, and John Tavares doing exactly what he expects to do, do you think there's another gear for the Leafs to get to? Or do you think it's all about who are they going to get to help with this push? I honestly think we saw the best version of the Leafs right out of the gate yeah. at the start of this season. Like they, you, they couldn't be beat, right? They, their power play was absolutely unstoppable. Yeah. Everything was clicking for them. Freddie Anderson didn't have his slow start that he has tended to have in his career, and he did it with William Nylander. Now, William Nylander, the best is still yet to come yeah. for him. Um, but the power play we've seen has slowed slowed down a little bit. It's it's probably a blessing in disguise for Freddie Anderson to go through this injury just so that he can rest. That's the biggest concern for me for this Leafs team is that Mike Babcock just loves to lean on his number one goalie. And, and that's fine because he's one of the better ones in the NHL for sure. He's consistent. You know what you're going to get from him. But if you look at the last five Stanley Cup champions, none of them had a goalie play more than 57 games 57. in a season. Three of those goalies, Matt Murray twice and Jonathan Quick once, played less than 50 in a season. So it, it really clearly is important for a goalie to not be overloaded. And, and actually, just quickly, like this my concern with Vegas is as good as they're looking right now, Marc-Andre Fleury is being leaned on like crazy, and, and he's entered the playoffs 
five times before in his career where he's, where he's played 65 or more games in a season and combined his save percentage has been below 900 in those years. None of the Stanley Cup winning years for him came in years where he was leaned on that much. So it comes back to that for, for Anderson, for me. And I think that really shows how important it is for this Leafs team to find a, a credible backup goalie. I think a lot of people thought Garrett Sparks was going to be that guy, a slam dunk backup goalie. He's not really living up to that. If they could do it all over again, I'm sure they would keep Curtis McElhaney, who's playing very well for the Carolina Hurricanes. He would be one of the better backups in the NHL right now if he was still on this team playing that role. Um, It's just the problem is who is available that you can go and get via trade and not have to pay up for. I mean, it's possible that Jimmy Howard is available. He's more of a starter than a backup, but he's a good guy to have in case of emergency. If Anderson goes down, but Detroit wants a first round pick for him. And I don't think you're giving up a first round pick for a goalie. And then you look around the league and, and everybody who's got a good backup goalie, needs that good backup yeah, goalie and wants to keep him for him exactly on. these reasons. So it's not really a, an easy way out for this team. I, I think that is the Achilles heel of the Toronto Maple Leafs. If they go into the playoffs, something happens to Freddie Anderson, then their Stanley Cup hopes go off and, up in a puff of smoke. I kind of think, too, we've seen the best from Morgan Riley. I don't think that he should be in this Norris Trophy discussion. I think... He's he's a great defenseman, but a lot of his points have to do with being on one of the best teams with this incredible power play that for, through most of the first half of the season. Um, they need to do some upgrades on defense. I think this is a team that's got to be in that. High end? Do you think it's six. high end or do you think it's... The thing is, you, you do have a lot of pieces to move that aren't on this roster right now that teams would be interested in. Like Jeremy Bracco is having a great season in the AHL. Rasmus Sandin is another guy. Great season in the AHL. Timothy Liljegren. It's just a matter of not overdoing it and yeah. overselling that future because you are going to need some of these guys in the short term when especially, Ron Hainsey goes away. Especially the defenseman. But up front, exactly. you got to think you can bite down and trade a Bracco. You would think a Bracco for sure you have to be happy to move on. If if anybody's interested in a Trevor Moore, then for sure I think that's the guy you've got to part with. I think the question is, do you consider moving a Kasperi Kapanen? And that becomes a little bit harder. I would be a little bit more reticent to do that. I, I'd be okay going in with my Fords. If, if, I, if I was faced with the choice of moving a Kapanen or a Nylander to load up on my defense or keeping it status quo and, and going with the forwards I have, I'd be okay with that and taking my chances with this team, assuming Freddie Anderson is healthy. But I think they got to look long and hard at a guy like Jake Muzzin. I think the price for Dougie Hamilton is probably going to be too high for a team like this right now. I'd be really tempted to do it. I'm interested to see what that price ultimately well, he's not is a rental. End up being. He's not a rental, but again, like we're talking about trading this guy again, and well, you, you do have to wonder what the heck is going on there. And, and now in Carolina, like they're not using him on the on the top pair like he was being used in Calgary. He's not playing the top power play like he was in Calgary. And it's curious because this is a team that's got the fewest goals in the NHL since mid-October. They clearly need some infusion of offense there. They're not really giving him an opportunity. We know the concerns in Calgary were, you know, he didn't did, blend. It, it didn't didn't blend. Well, there was some sort of vague. On, yes. Yeah. If he. Cared Cared enough enough. and all this stuff. Give a spit factor. Yeah, and you can look at his numbers and say he's a great defenseman, and that's very true, but I think there is enough smoke here that you have to wonder what's beyond, what's behind the scenes, what's going on here to at least be worried about. If I'm trading for him, 
I'm making sure I know what the full story is here. I'm sure the front offices will drill into this and, and make sure before they make any moves. But I think for Toronto right now, that's a little bit too much with the contracts that you have coming up. I think this is a team that you can make a little bit more minor adjustments to. And I consider Jake Muzzin a little bit more of a minor adjustment, even though he's a top four forward. I think he's a guy that you can probably get without having to move somebody off of your roster. So one of the takes from our quarter pod that did not age well was on my part. <laughs> I was looking at the auto centers and thinking, you know what? Giving up that first round, that uh, pick that they had to kick to Colorado, eh, maybe it's okay. Brady Kachuk looking fantastic. Mm-hmm. He is fantastic. But lo and behold, of course, they have sunk to the bottom. Their underlying numbers were always terrible. And now this uh, issue of... <laughs> Potentially having the first overall pick go to another team has crept back in. We won't spend too much time here on Ottawa, but what I really want to do is pick up on some more of that trade talk you were talking about with Dougie Hamilton. I mean, I look at Ottawa now, and you know this the talk between now and the trade deadline is going to be dominated by Matt Duchesne, Mark Stone. Yeah. What's your gut on those two guys? Boy, I mean... First of all, they have to keep both of them. Mark Stone is your future captain. He is easily the best player on your team. You have to keep that guy first and foremost. Duchesne, I think you have to keep him because whatever you trade him for, you're not going to recoup the assets that you traded for him in the first place. So you're going to come out a loser in that way. And because of this pick situation... How do you even explore trading Craig Anderson, who's got another year left on his contract? Like, you can't be trading players throwing in the towel on this season. You're obviously not acquiring guys either, but you're in a no-win situation here if you're Ottawa. But they they, they just have to have the honest conversations with these two guys, right, and get a sense, a firm sense for, look, just look us in the eye and tell us where you're at. Because you're right, they would obviously, I mean, especially Stone, they'd love to keep. Duchesne, too, I'm sure. They need some PR wins. They're good guys. They're not... You know, neither one of them had Stone is 26. Uh, Duchesne will be 28 uh, very shortly here. But, I mean, they're guys that you'd be thrilled to keep around. But if you think there's a even a chance they they're to gone, go. you, they got to go. For whatever you I maintain you go to Colorado and say, will you give us the pick back for Stone? Yeah. Honestly. And that would be, that would be interesting. Colorado, would have, if, if Stone would sign an extension, he would ha- they would have to think long and hard about that. Because even if Ottawa finishes last, we know, yep. still an 80% chance Colorado, which is trying to win now, isn't getting that pick, but Ottawa, I mean, is it's going to be very, very, very interesting watching that team. The guy I would trade if I was while. Ottawa is Cody Cece. Sure. A 25-year-old defenseman making $4.3 million. His numbers are really not good at all. If you can get some kind of future asset back from him, I would do that because whatever his next contract is going to be, I don't think it's going to be worth it for the player. But I, I do think there are going to be some teams out there that are going to be interested in a right shot 25-year-old with some sure. upside, and we'll give you something for him. Well, about six weeks to go until that deadline, and you can bet that will be a huge point of focus for us here on Tape to Tape as we breeze through 2019, friends. Man, the future is here. That future, of course includes the internet and that's where you can find the tape to tape podcast at sportsnet.ca check us out on itunes follow rory on twitter at rory boylan myself dixon on sports and check back next week for more glass rattling hockey action tape to tape